good afternoon and welcome. Look outside. It's snowing and we're all going to die. Those two statements are actually true. They're just not related. So we will begin today here on Midday. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tom Hall. We will begin with an update on the weather. Justin Burke joins me. He's a certified broadcast meteorologist and the proprietor of the Just In Weather website. He and Tony Pan host the first one-hour show exclusively devoted to weather on WCBM Radio. Justin, welcome. Hey, Tom, how you doing this afternoon? Whatever happened to the fact that we weren't going to get any more snow days, right? Exactly. You know, and of course, now <laughs> these poor kids with Zoom and everything during the COVID, even when they're out, out of school, a lot of times they have to still go to class. So, you know. Uh, my, my, one of my kids is upstairs right now doing his work. Uh, poor yeah, guy. You know, it just, it happens. <laughs> but you are a big fan of snow. You've got all sorts of merch on your website uh, for Faith in Flakes. So you're in hog heaven on a day like today, right? I, well, I've always loved snow, and that actually came up with my older son when he was uh, just a little toddler, and uh, I actually got excited for a storm. Um, it didn't happen. I had explained to my kid before he was four years old while both his dad and a weatherman were, were wrong, and my son actually said, hey, it's, it's, there's a whole season ahead of us. I know it's going to snow, and we had the conversation, and he just knew without knowing why. We had the the, the, the talk about faith and the believing in something without knowing why. And that's how Faith in the Fix was born. So I give credit to my older son who just turned 18 early this week. Uh, and we had snow him. on his birthday on Tuesday. So good here we are. Him. Yeah, here we yeah. are. So how much accumulation have we had? And how do you judge accumulation? Do you take what's going on at the airport or some other place? Well, airport, how, how's that? Climate. I mean, yeah, the airport's the, uh, the official climate data for this for the for the region. Uh, Baltimore records, honestly, go back 140 years. It was, uh, I think, 1883 when we have our first snow records, but that was really spread out over the century plus of a few different locations. It's been at BWI actually since 1940 when it was Friendship Airport. So we got to stick with that for the climate records. But honestly, um, everyone says, and even George Carlin, why do we take weather at the airport? Nobody lives there. That's right. Nobody um, lives there. That's and if they're why. there, they're because, leaving. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And usually it's more north and west, but today it's pretty evenly spread. Uh, the official Baltimore um, uh, snow total was early this morning. So I don't have a new update since 7 a.m. And they had two inches, and that was a really early uh, time to get that lot of snow. And they're already in the zone. Uh, I've had ranges across the region, and I did go on my Facebook page and ask a bunch of people to report. Uh, my uh, my friends, the Albrights, um, James is a kid I share my profile picture with. He's one of the kids in our nonprofit, uh, Justin Power Kids, uh, dealing with brain cancer. He and his family had 3.5 inches in Bel Air. Uh, I have a Navy meteorologist, Melissa Sofanowski, in Habit of Grace. She had four inches at 11 o'clock. Uh, 3.5 in Ellicott City, that's from Joan Kim. Uh, Jessica, I think it's Muffaletto in Marriott'sville. She showed me eight inches for the week. And I'm going to say we're going to split that in half. And I think four inches is pretty much the spread. Uh, Lindsay in Annapolis had four inches. New Market, I had about four inches from Kathleen Jones. And even Arbutus, 4.5 from uh, Kathy uh, Vandervoort. So, but that's I'm so saying, far. I mean, what what what's that, your guess as to what? Well, guess I shouldn't use that the, word. You don't guess. Know, that, you you, you, hey, you figure so, it out. You calculate how much are we going to get by say 10 o'clock tonight, which is when hey, I understand the warning is. A prognostication is an educated guess, so I'm okay. <laughs> um, Liz, uh, this is kind of a, a really interesting setup because the energy that is responsible for the snow we're getting right now. I'm watching the radar. It is redeveloping. Anyone who has their own radar and is like, it's done. I'm telling you, I'm looking at this low pressure in the southern Chesapeake Bay 
and it is reforming. So the snow is enhancing just south and west of Washington and passing on in through southern Maryland. And I think we're going to enhance it around Baltimore. Uh, I had an initial three to five inches. Um, that was my updated call last night. We're already there. If it stops snowing, we hit the mark. But I do believe we're going to have an enhancement of snow across most of Maryland, or at least central Maryland, even southern Maryland and Delmarva this afternoon. So we could push an additional two to four inches in some spots on top of there. And what is unique about this is that I think the heavier snow that we will get will actually possibly be near or just south of Baltimore uh, on into Annapolis and even the eastern shore this afternoon and into this evening. So best case, we have snow a few more hours. If you're where you're at, stay put for the rest of the day. This evening, we'll have it winding down to snow showers. And then tomorrow, we set up a very cold and windy day for, I think, your next question, the Ravens playoff game. Exactly, which I understand from your website that you and your son are going to attend. Uh, I myself will be watching from the uh, warm comfort of my lovely and modest home. But I got to tell you, uh, it's going to be uncomfortable in the stands tomorrow, right? Absolutely. So the forecast maps that that I put up and I'm still looking at temperature game time is going to be close to 20 degrees. Wind chill could be in the single digits. And my best recommendation for anyone who's going, if you have snow gear, bring it. Um, I don't know if they're going to be like the bills and ask people to shovel out the stands and pay 20 bucks an hour. But I'm expecting to have snow. Um, I'm actually going to wear my snowboard pants and jacket and gloves. We have uh, the hand warmers and foot warmers. And it's literally a matter of just being outside for four to five hours and hoping the crowd warms us up. But it's going to be chilly. And one last thing, my friend Chris Kopech, who is a DJ that actually does the pregames at the stadium, he told me that he heard that fans in Buffalo bring a piece of cardboard with them and they put it down under their feet and it actually helps to insulate their feet when they sit in the stands and their snowfall. Wow. So uh, I don't know if they'll let people go into the bank tomorrow with uh, cardboard, but it's a suggestion. I'm going to ask and find out if it's a possibility. And if so, we'll be bringing our cardboard to put under our feet. And it'll be a little tomorrow. windy, but will it be snowing tomorrow? I mean, do you expect a more more accumulation? No, no, no accumulation, Tom. Uh, if we have a snow shower or flurry, that's possible off and on. Uh, I think just the fact that it's going to be windy and it's going to be cold and there's fresh snowpack across the entire region is going to help refrigerate everybody. So uh, for my fellow 70 plus thousand friends who are going to join me at MC yeah. Bank Stadium <laughs> tomorrow, uh, my best suggestion, seriously, layers, layers, layers. If you have snowboard gear the pants, those are extra insulated and waterproof. The jacket, um, thick gloves, and definitely those hand warmers to stick not only in your gloves, but also in your socks. When that will this melt? Step. When will this melt? When will this get warmer again? Um, well, it's going to warm up next week. The next storm track is to our west, so it's likely that we're pushing the 40s and 50s with rain on Wednesday and Thursday. I can't say it's going to wash everything away, but it's definitely going to help um eat into the snowpack but i'll tell you this with our roughly six to eight or ten inches of fresh snow weekly total that'll be on the ground in most of the area it's going to stick around for a couple of days so it definitely feels and it is going to look like winter thank goodness because we waited a long time for this we have indeed well you know 40 (laughs) to 50 well of course sounds downright tropical all right justin burke reports on the weather at justinweather.com great talk to you justin thanks so much and uh, enjoy the game Thanks, Tom. You too.
And now it's time for the Midday News Wrap. Today we're going to look at the biggest local story of the week. Sinclair Broadcast Group Executive Chairman David Smith has purchased the Baltimore Sun. He's bought the state's largest daily as an individual, not as part of his corporate entity, which includes nearly 200 television stations, including Fox 45 here in Baltimore. Smith is a staunch conservative who has historically not shied away from involvement in Baltimore and national politics. He has thrown his support behind politicians as disparate as Donald Trump and Sheila Dixon, and he has funded multiple efforts to change the Baltimore city charter. Given his political activism, will the way the sun covers the news in our community change with a new owner who reportedly told the Sun staff on Tuesday that he has only read the paper a few times over the past several decades. We invited Mr. Smith to be on the program this afternoon. He declined our invitation, but that invitation stands. We would love to have him on. So we'll begin today with Joshua Benton. He is the founder and senior writer at the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard University. He published a piece on the Neiman website on Tuesday headlined, The Baltimore Sun Explores the Question of Whether the there can be a worse newspaper owner than Alden Global Capital. Josh Benton joins us on Zoom from the Boston area. Josh, welcome. Great to be with you. So uh, let's start by a little primer. Uh, who was Alton, uh, who is uh, Alden Global Capital, the people who sold the paper to David Smith? Uh, sure. So Alden Global Capital is a, is a hedge fund that uh, is worth many billions of dollars. Their specialty is buying up distressed assets and uh, and pulling cash out of them, often to the detriment of those those businesses. And for the last decade or so, they've been increasingly interested in the newspaper business, which has obviously had its own set of problems. So they have purchased up uh, hundreds of newspapers. They're now the second largest newspaper company in America. And their their ownership follows a similar pattern. No matter where they buy, they end up uh, cutting costs, firing reporters. Often they take the real estate that uh, the uh, newspaper is sitting on their office building and sell that and rent it back to the newsroom. Their goal is to soak as much money out of the operation as they possibly can. Um, so they have gen for the last you know uh, half decade or so been generally acknowledged as the worst possible owner for an American newspaper. And uh, the fact that they decided to sell to David Smith has uh, created a new nominee for that title. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how much Mr. Smith paid for the paper, but uh, he said uh, in a meeting with Sun staffers that it was nine figures. So that means the minimum was $100 million. Uh, much has been made, and you mentioned this in your piece, about the fact that David Smith lives in the Baltimore area. Uh, he is a local owner, and uh, there is a long tradition of local ownership of uh, hometown newspapers around the country. Uh, the Baltimore Sun, uh, the Abel family owned it for, you know, many, many decades uh, until it was sold uh, some time ago to a series of corporate owners uh, in, in, you know, ending with Alden Capital before this sale. The fact that Smith lives in this area, uh, what's that going to mean? Well, the reason, you know, there have always been good family owners and, and bad family owners and good chains and bad chains right there. They both they, they exist on a, a chain of uh, a spectrum, I suppose. Uh, you know, the first chain that the Baltimore Sun was sold to, Times Mirror, uh, by the family was uh, was a pretty good one and generally did pretty well by the by the newspaper. You know, one one of the benefits of a local owner is that you have someone who is engaged in the community, is at least theoretically committed to some sense of civic virtue and civic value. 
Um, the downside, and this is not limited to David Smith, but the downside is that uh, newspaper owners often have political interests, and they're often very engaged in uh, the politics of the area and the governance of the area. And uh, sometimes those those interests are advanced uh, behind the scenes, and sometimes they're advanced very publicly. Uh, and it certainly seems from what uh, Smith has said to his staff uh, in the last couple of days that He's quite clear about having uh, desiring to use his his news uh, outlets to advance his political agenda. Uh, Mr. Smith has donated to a, a whole range of politicians, including our, our two Democratic senators, uh, Chris Van Hollen and Ben Cardin. Uh, Sheila Dixon is a Democrat running in the primary for mayor. Uh, he is very much uh, behind her candidacy in this particular cycle. Uh, but he does certainly have a long history of uh, donating to conservative causes and conservative politicians. What's his relationship? How would you describe his relationship with Donald Trump? Well, there there have been a number of uh, key moments in it that have been through Sinclair Broadcasting, the television company that he uh, in part owns and was now the executive chairman of, was the CEO of for many years. Uh, before uh, Donald Trump's, uh, uh, well, during his presidential run, uh, he uh, met with uh, Jared Kushner, uh, the president's son-in-law, and essentially offered uh, a a, uh, a deal to the Trump uh, to the Trump uh, campaign that uh, Trump could appear on his station's airwaves all around the country, and they would agree to uh, broadcast uh, his uh, points of view at length and not provide uh, negative commentary about them. Um, Asked about it later, uh, Smith said that he would have offered that same sort of deal to other presidential candidates, but of course Trump is the only one he, he that ended up taking it, uh, if in fact it was offered to others. And uh, he then said he told a, a reporter for The Guardian that the the, the point of, of all this was that he, he went to Trump and said, we are here to present your message. Um, and certainly during, during that campaign and in the 2020 campaign, it certainly seemed like uh, – Trump candidates, uh, Trump uh, and Trumpist candidates were getting a, a fairer shake or a more positive spin on St. Clair stations than Democrats, as has been the case for decades now. Joshua Benton is a senior writer and the founder of the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard University. We're talking about the sale that was announced Monday night by uh, Alden Global Capital of the Baltimore Sun to David Smith, the executive chairman of Sinclair Broadcast Group, which owns Fox 45 and about 180 other stations around the country. And they do, uh, Josh, you know, air a lot of conservative commentary. Boris Epstein was a uh, Trump uh, associate uh, who's been given an awful lot of uh, airtime. You write about a QAnon uh, curious person, uh, Cheryl Atkinson, who also gets a lot of time. Mark Hyman, another person. I know uh, his commentary certainly ran in this market for a long time. Um, it was. You mentioned uh, that during the 2016 election cycle, uh, he offered uh, time to other candidates. But um, in terms of the conservative content, uh, the editorializing that goes on, uh, not just uh, the station here in Baltimore, but around the country, and it's, uh, you know, it has a, a pretty big reach with 180 stations. Is there any serious attempt in, in your estimation to, uh, you know, a left of center uh, balance uh, to the conservative uh, viewpoints that are often aired? You know, it's actually quite rare uh, these days in local television news to have dedicated uh, sections of a newscast that are devoted to, to commentary. That was something that was relatively common in the 50s and 60s and 70s. 
But for the most part, newscasts have not set aside, you know, a time for someone to express their political views, you know, as a as a commentator, as an editorialist. So it's relatively rare that someone would do, from any political perspective, what uh, what Sinclair does. And the impact of of Sinclair has been measured. Uh, you know, there have been a number of academic studies uh, looking at what happens to the the political environment in a given market when a Sinclair station arrives. Um, and the evidence is pretty clear. What Sinclair does is that they reduce the amount of coverage of local politics and government coverage. They reduce that about 10%. They increase the amount of coverage on local newscasts of national politics about 25%. Uh, and they end up uh, adding a lot more editorialism, uh, editorials and commentary uh, from a conservative point of view. They're known for what are what they call must runs, which are uh, packages of commentary that are created at this at the corporate level by Sinclair and then distributed to all their stations and told that they they must run them. Um, it, this is an unusual pattern, and it's not especially effective with audiences. Um, when Sinclair comes into when they acquire a station, ratings in that market tend to go down. But they don't go down enough to, you know, hurt the company, uh, you know, financially, because they also are cutting costs locally and centralizing a lot of the content production from at their corporate offices. So it, it, it's not a, a business strategy that that uh, it seems to be tapping into some unmet demand, but it does seem to be effective at shifting the political conversation in the markets where they're operating. Yeah, he has uh, pledged to the staff of The Sun, according to reports from the meeting he held with them on Tuesday, that he does want to concentrate on local issues here, particularly corruption in local government and the school system. He's been very, or, or the Fox 45 has been uh, particularly uh, critical of the school system here in the city. Um, so when it comes to these corporate edicts about content, what they have to what they have to air. This predates Trump. You write about this, that it goes way back to uh, the John Kerry election cycle in 2004. Um, talk about some of the things uh, that, that Sinclair was doing in terms of uh, content that they were uh, obliging all of their stations to air uh, way back then, 20 years ago. Right. So um, in 2003, with the, uh, the start of the Iraq war, uh, he uh, expressed uh, concern that the coverage of the Iraq war was too negative in his mind in the early years. So he uh, decided to send uh, one of his conservative commentators and another reporter to Iraq to do the upbeat positive stories about the, the Iraq war um, and said that uh, it was a, a gross disservice being done by the other journalists there reporting on negative things that were happening there. Um, later in that in that same year, uh, Nightline uh, aired an episode uh, one night that was the naming of all of the names of the dead in the Iraq War. Um, this aired nationwide on ABC affiliates, except Sinclair uh, demanded to its ABC affiliates that they not air the show because they considered it to be anti-George W. Bush propaganda. And then most famously that year, uh, in the John Kerry, uh, George W. Bush election case race in 2004, they prepared a documentary of sorts um, that uh, included a lot of the swift boats for truth uh, claims, claiming that John Kerry had done various awful things in Vietnam that news reporting had not uh, suggested were, were true, um, and insisted that it be aired on all of their stations during primetime, preempting the regular newscast, 
uh, the weekend before the election that year. It was only after those plans came forward that there was opposition and, and uh, it ended up not airing. But they've repeated that essentially every uh, election cycle since airing a documentary aimed at denigrating the Democratic uh, nominee for president uh, right before the election. Uh, in terms of the credibility of uh, its reporting as well, uh, you write about uh, some of the conspiracy theories that they have uh, broadcast or attempted to broadcast uh, on their stations. Uh, talk a little bit uh, as we finish up here. I know I've got to let you go. Uh, in 2020, uh, at the height of the COVID crisis, uh, the kinds of uh, information they were um, putting on the air. Yeah, in, in 2020, they were, of course, uh, very uh, forward-leaning into the idea that uh, Anthony Fauci had personally created the uh, the COVID uh, virus and had sent it off to China. A lot of the anti-vaccine uh, ferment, they were very happy to promote that and, and push it out. And, you know, the, the the weakness for conspiracy theories that has shown up in other Sinclair projects. They, for a while, had a, a site called Circa, which was meant to be a younger audience-leading leading site. That was the place where um, John Solomon, the reporter, uh, was able to put a lot of his uh, more conspiratorial pieces about uh, Ukraine and Hunter Biden and things that uh, led up to President Trump's first impeachment trial. So it's it's a pretty consistent pattern that uh, has been going on for now a couple of decades. Well, I know you'll be staying on top of it, and so will we, and we appreciate your time today. Josh Benton is the senior writer at the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Coming up next, Emily Sullivan of the Baltimore Banner will join me. She and Justin Fenton posted a profile of David Smith on Wednesday, and we'll talk about what they found on the other side of a quick break. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Stick around. This is member-supported 88.1 WIPR, your NPR news station. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up on the show Monday, our series of conversations with the candidates continues with Delegate Terry Hill. She's a physician and a three-term member of the House of Delegates, and she's part of a crowded field in the Democratic primary for Congress in the 3rd District. So Delegate Hill will join me here on Midday Monday. If you've just joined us today, it's the Midday News Wrap. We're talking about the news that broke Monday night that the executive chairman of the Sinclair Broadcast Group, David Smith, has purchased for an unknown amount the Baltimore Sun. The news came as a complete surprise to the staff of the Sun, who learned about the sale from their publisher, Triff Alatsis, just a few minutes before the news was published on the Sun website. Joining me now is Emily Sullivan, who covers City Hall for our news partner, the Baltimore Banner. On Wednesday, Emily and her Banner colleague, Justin Fenton, a former reporter at the Sun, published a profile of David Smith, the Sun's new boss. Emily joins us on Zoom. You are welcome to join us as well. What do you think about the sale of the Sun to the person who is the executive chairman of Sinclair Broadcast, David Smith? 410-662-8780, our email, midday at wipr.org. Hey, Emily, happy snow day. 
Hey, Tom. I apologize if you hear my neighbor's kids uh, playing in the background. We got the whole neighborhood out building snowmen right outside my house right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. <laughs> As well they should. Not a problem at all. Tell us a little bit about Armstrong Williams. He's uh, uh, listed or, or described by Mr. Smith, I guess, as a partner in this venture. Yeah, so we don't know exactly what the stake is, you know, how much of the son that Smith owns versus Williams. Um, we do know that Armstrong Williams is a longtime conservative commentator, um, interviewing Bush administration officials, um, doing a PR firm. Um, recently, over the summer, he interviewed former Mayor Sheila Dixon on Fox 45 for a hour-long town hall. Um, where she was teasing a run. Um, she ended up formally declaring a, a couple weeks later. Um, and former Mayor Dixon described Williams as someone who's been very supportive personally to her. Um, I think it raised a lot of people's eyebrows that he was involved in the venture. You know, there's still a lot of questions about the extent to which he would be involved in day-to-day -day business. Um, the journalism, all the details and fine print. Yeah, and there's some speculation that he would have a, a regular column in the Sun. Uh, he's uh, certainly done commentary for the Sinclair stations around the country. Um, Mr. Smith is a very wealthy man. He's a very successful business person. Uh, he's basically responsible for uh, transforming the company his father started. It was just sort of a small UHF uh, conglomerate of, you know, uh, stations. Uh, but he's made it into this gigantic thing, uh, 180-some stations around the country. Um, but he's also been very politically active. Give us a sense of the kinds of donations that he has made, the where he's targeted them, and the, the nature of David Smith's involvement, both in local and national politics. So... Mr. Smith, while he's not as recognizable to the general American public as other media owners like Jeff Bezos, um, is is deeply influential. Um, he definitely operates more behind the scenes than some of those folks, um, you know, like the, the billionaire class that enjoys being photographed, enjoys talking candidly in public about their ventures. Um, the Smiths have always been a bit more behind the scenes. Um, in 1995, David and three of his brothers uh, officially bought out Sinclair from their parents, and they control the company that controls Sinclair Broadcasting Group. Um, during their time post-purchase, post um, they got a bit more politically involved, and the brothers donated to various Republican causes and candidates across the country, you know, from as far away to senators in Texas to as locally as uh, Andy Harris here in Maryland. Um, but the family also knows, you know, they're they're very smart people. Um, they know the, the scene in Maryland, and that is that democratic politics tend to control this state and especially Baltimore. They've given to Senator Ben Cardin. They've given to Senator Chris Van Hollen. Uh, and David particular in particular has given to former Mayor Sheila Dixon via a super PAC that is supporting her campaign. You know, I should say that by law, super PACs cannot coordinate directly with candidates or with political parties. Um, but finance reports unleashed this week uh, revealed that he donated $100,000 to a super PAC called Better Baltimore that is was created to support Dixon's campaign. Um, all they have spent money on so far is a poll. So, you know, we haven't seen any receipts for attack ads or 
big shot political consultants. Um, but I expect to see a lot of financial activity out of that super PAC. And of course, the super PAC uh, regulations uh, don't have any limits. So $100,000, you know, as of uh, the end of January is one thing, but the primary isn't until May. Uh, so he's got plenty of time to, don- to donate even more to the effort to, uh, to elect uh, Sheila Dixon, or at least have her prevail in the primary. Um, and we know that he has is not afraid to dig deep. You know, frankly, when I saw the reports this week, um, the super PAC only had about $200,000. Another $100,000 was from John Lukemeyer. Mr. Smith has given more than half a million dollars to a ballot initiative committee that put the um, the term limits on Baltimore ballots in 2022. You know, he's he's shown he's not afraid to dig deep and donate hundreds and hundreds of thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, and he's already uh, donated quite a bit of money to uh, organize a petition drive for another ballot question. Uh, they've. Uh, this is according to the other Emily, as we call her, uh, at City Hall, Emily Opilo, who writes, For the Sun, uh, Baltimore voters will uh, have a chance to vote as to whether or not the city council should be reduced from its current 14-member group to eight members. Uh, and uh, they've already collected some 25,000 signatures, as I understand it. You only need 10,000 verified signatures to get a petition on the ballot. So once again, we're going to have another petition that is uh, animated by David Smith and the Smith family. Um, they also uh, tried to get get another one on the ballot the last time, which didn't work. Um, tell us about that one. They, they weren't able to get bring that one to voters. Right. Uh, they were this the ballot initiative committee that received money from them um, was paid to canvas um, and try to collect signatures. And they were able to get enough for the term limits, but not enough people would sign a petition for their other measure, which would have introduced a measure that would let you recall an elected official. So, for example, recall Mayor Brandon Scott, recall city council president Nick Mosby. Um at the same time that the ballot initiative committee was trying to canvass for this measure, we saw Fox 45 air several segments in which political scientists and activists, you know, touted the ability to throw out a mayor. Um, so it's interesting. You see, you know, you often see on Fox 45 the efforts that the Smiths are promoting privately through donations, through ballot initiatives committees, they're often playing on Fox 45 segments in support of those measures and initiatives. Emily Sullivan is my guest. She covers all things City Hall for our news partner, The Baltimore Banner. We're talking about the sale of The Baltimore Sun, the state's largest daily newspaper, to David Smith, who's the executive chairman of the Sinclair Broadcast Group. Um, Emily, uh, you also write about uh, the other brothers in the consortium of brothers who own Sinclair Broadcast, uh, David is one of four. Uh, one of his brothers, uh, Dr. Frederick Smith, uh, you write, was a, a, a surgeon before becoming, uh, back in 1990, a vice president of Sinclair. And uh, his marriage uh, brings together another very prominent politically active family. Tell me about, uh, tell us about uh, the the. the Uh, intersecting uh, of the Smith family and another very famous family here in Baltimore. 
That's right. So Dr. Frederick Smith worked as a surgeon before he became vice president of Sinclair in 1990. And he married Dr. Vanessa Paterakis, who is the daughter of billionaire baker John Paterakis. Um, Paterakis is, you know, a legend in city circles. He was called the bread man for both his H&S bakery that saw wild success selling hamburger buns to McDonald's. And also because of the major financial support he gave to generations of city politicians, um, which earned him clout in Baltimore and beyond. Uh, Paterakis also branched into real estate. You know, he helped develop the once downward neighborhood of Harbor East into an absolutely bustling nightlife scene. Um, you know, it's hard to imagine the city without Harbor East now. And this neighborhood's development was bolstered further by Atlas Restaurant Group, um, which was founded by two of frederick smith's sons uh alex and eric who in their own right have become big political power players in the city i spent the week combing through various financial reports you know campaigns handing in their homework about who's been giving them money and alex and eric smith are are big uh donors to most of the city elected officials oh, we have an email from nick who says i'm ending my subscription to the capital that's part of the group of newspapers that the sun owns that mr smith has purchased uh, Nick says, I was an employee of the Capitol in Annapolis for 25 years. The sun took over after I left, but it was heartbreaking to see the Capitol taken over. Christopher says, how healthy are David Smith's and Sinclair's finances? The last news I heard about them was in the bankruptcy of their sports network and closing a series of TV stations in the South. Um, do you have any information about that, Emily? Do we know uh, about the, the, the fiscal health of uh, Sinclair Broadcasting or Mr. Smith himself? So that is a great question. Um, it's a privately traded company. Um, so they are not beholden to issue public reports to shareholders. You know, it's not a company that your 401k is investing in without you knowing, right? It's it's just controlled by the Smiths. So in the past, um, the company has tried to buy, in 2018, Tribune Media. They put forward a nearly $4 billion bid. So they were able to get financing for that in some way, shape, or form. Um, but they were they ended up getting fined 48 million dollars by the fcc because of deceptive practices contained within their bid um they were fined 13 million dollars after some of the stations in the network uh put sp sponsored paid content um and aired it as you know real news segments more than 1400 times so the company has been able to pay these fines and keep rolling so you know we we don't have a firm idea the way you would for a publicly traded company, but it's clear that it's powerful. It is bankrolled um, and it's had no money getting hefty deals and proposals approved of by banks. Yeah, and 60 some million dollars worth of fines uh, from the FCC and the FCC didn't allow them to buy Tribune Media. That was back in 2018. Uh, Matthew has a theory and there are a lot of people with theories. Um, and this is, again, just a theory from Matthew, one of our listeners. Seems extreme, but is David Smith trying to hollow out the city to drive up value, cause more exodus, and gentrify? With more political influence that attacks schools and city services, it makes the city look more violent. I can't help but come to that conclusion as an endgame. So there are lots of people uh, who assume really nefarious reasons for David Smith 
wanting to buy the Baltimore Sun. Uh, having talked to people in the newsroom, uh, having reported on this, you and Justin did this, you know, terrific profile of Mr. Smith. Do you have any notion as to why uh, he wants to own a newspaper? Because he has talked for years uh, about how print newspapers are... Uh, they're too liberal. They're uh, out of touch. They're not good. He has complained and ranted about the mainstream media uh, echoing things that we hear from the Republican uh, or the the, the right uh, right hand wing of the of the Republican Party. Do you have any idea why he wants to own the Sun? Right. So Smith doesn't sit for interviews often, and he's declined to speak to the Banner all this week. Um, he did tell New York Magazine in 2018 that print media is left-wing, meaningless dribble uh, with no credibility. The exact quote is devoid of reality and serving no real purpose. So, you know, he's he's been pretty strong with his language before, but apparently feels like the sun has enough clout or meaning or purpose um, that it was worth what he said, what he told members of the sun was a $9 million, or excuse me, a nine-digit nine digit not nine million a nine digit uh dollar price tag so i think the the mood at the sun right now having spoken to people who are there journalists get into this industry because they feel mission oriented and mission driven if we wanted to be making more money we would be making more money outside of the media right so the people there i think are approaching a wait and see attitude. I mean, we've all heard conspiracy theories about how um, the, about how Mr. Smith purchased, like we've all heard conspiracy theories about why or why not Mr. Smith may have purchased the sun. Um, I think my biggest question is if someone really wanted to buy this specifically for propaganda purposes or to push a certain candidate, you're going to have to deal with a newsroom of people who are mission oriented and values oriented. And if those people decide to leave, it's quite a task to fill a newsroom with new people in a matter of months. Like it's, it would be like turning around a cruise ship. Um, so I've heard lots of messages. I've gotten emails about people canceling their sun subscription and, and turning solely to the banner. I think we we really will have to wait and see over the next few weeks and months um, whether the the great work that comes out of the sun is is any meaningfully different. Yeah, and of course, um, uh, you mentioned that uh, he has donated to politicians on both in both political parties. Uh, he has also the family foundation that he uh, started uh, has given money to Project Veritas, which is a very right wing organization for the do sting operations. Of course, one of the sting operations they did was on Thiru Vignaraja, who they supported for mayor. Uh, the last time around, uh, this time it's it's uh, Sheila Dixon. They've also given a, a substantial amount of money uh, going back several years to Moms for America, a uh, conservative group about uh, supporting patriotism and liberty and uh, banning books and that sort of thing. So uh, there is that uh, long track record. And then uh, there is, you know, so much, as you say, that remains to be seen. The conspiracy theories so far are speculation. We don't know what the paper is going to look like. And you make a really good point that uh, the people who work at the paper are the ones who, uh, you know, who report and do uh, top-notch work and they have for for generations. So we will stay on top of it, as I'm sure you and your colleagues at the Banner will as well. Emily Sullivan covers things uh, around City Hall and elsewhere for our news partner, the Baltimore Banner. Enjoy the weekend and the snow. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Take care.
Up next, midday theater critic Jay Wynn Russick joins me with a review of the new show from Rapid Lemon Productions. It's called The Book of Grace. We'll talk to Judy on the other side of a quick break. Stay with us. You're listening to Binday on your public radio, 881 WIPR.